0: Hello to our listeners and welcome to TNT ESQ along with my co-host Reese Thomas. I'm Teresa Quinlan. We make up TNT. For those of you that don't know it's our name Thomas and Teresa. We're here to explode the status quo because this series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently so we can start doing differently.
1: Our guest today is Hayden Bratt. He is the founder of Mindset Leadership, author of the book Micro Leadership. Hayden loves to help people at all stages of their leadership career to think and act differently to improve their mindset, generate highly effective success strategies that deliver outstanding results, both personally and in the organisations they lead. Exactly the type of guest. That we love, come and help us challenge the status quo. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Hayden. We're so grateful to have you joining us today.
2: Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here with you. Really looking forward to being a guest on your uh, your series and your your podcast, and uh, really um, looking forward to uh, our conversation.
1: If you're familiar with the show, you know we always kick off with the same question. It's about uh, your obsession, your, your passion. So obsession in a good way. It's fair to say that you are obsessed with the future of leadership, and. In particular, what needs to change for the future of leadership? What's the story behind how we get to this point today?
2: Brilliant, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really passionate around uh, around this subject and how do we create better places for people to to, to go to work and, and have a great, greater experiences in the workplace. Where it started was a few years back when I was still in the corporate world. So uh, my, my history is being a head of, head of learning in uh, a number of different commercial organisations. In that role, I've always been involved with working with leadership teams and working on developing leadership programs. So I've always kind of had an interest in this area, kind of having been an operator in the past as well. So in my very early days, working as a retail operator, having to lead people myself. It's always been something that's kind of been an interest and I've always liked and and really been engaged around the people side of business. So a few years ago, when I was uh, head of learning in my last role, I started to work with some external providers who came in and really, I guess, opened my eyes to a wider concept of, of leadership and some of the opportunities around leadership. I was invited on a, a leadership retreat by this, these, these external providers. And it was the first time in, from my corporate career where I had actually stepped outside of the closeted kind of um, environment that a corporate career can sometimes be where you know everybody, you're around your like-minded individuals within the same organization, and you get very, very quickly kind of institutionalized into the way of thinking within that organization. Mm -hmm. So going to this event where I was invited, and it was in a wonderful castle in Scotland, so the hosts of this event uh, had hired this castle, and it was on the banks of Loch Ness, so Teresa, for for your benefit, uh, up in the very north of Scotland, a good I think it took something nine or 10 hours to drive there from, from my base in the nice. south. And I did drive actually, so uh, I drove mm. all the way up there and arrived at this fantastic castle. It's almost like a, um, a fairy tale castle. And walked into the room with 14 other leaders from different environments and different businesses, none of them in my own area of expertise and none of them in my sector. And walked in on this first kind of session. And meeting these uh, these other leaders from around different places and different businesses, and I have to say, as a, as a natural introvert as I am, my I was completely out of my comfort zone. I really had to challenge myself to step outside my comfort zone. Almost got after my nine ten hour um, journey to the driveway and turned around and went home because of kind of what my uh, what my fears were telling me to do. I was um,
0: going to say that's like a nine hour pep talk.
2: Absolutely. It really was. I was giving myself a nine hour pep talk and uh, the loudest pep talk was that moment I crossed the driveway onto the actual, uh, this estate. So I walked into the room, met these people and over the course of, of three days, just had the most amazing experience exploring the subject we were looking at was your story. So what had got you into that room? So a chance to reflect and to look back on our own lives as to what got us to where we were. And just having this experience, this really rich experience of sharing our stories with one another, hearing the stories of everybody else, and all of these people who were leaders in their own right. And it really switched me on to the potential and the opportunity that exists to create an environment where great leaders can be developed and for those great leaders to the influence and impact that they can have on one another. So I've been surrounded by really inspirational people who probably wouldn't say they're inspirational, but, but really were. And hearing their stories, but hearing the humanity that sat behind their roles and their positions, it really kind of started to switch on for me some some different thoughts that I was having from in, within my corporate corporate life and that that was the that was the kernel and actually one of the other experiences I had on that event was and one of the first activities we did was we were asked to go away and reflect on four things: what were the triumphs, the tragedies, the victories and the failures in our life to that point and we were given two and a half hours to go and do some real navel gazing to explore and reflect on what had got us there and I remember sitting in a beautiful kind of baronial um, drawing room overlooking the lock and for two and a half hours I sat there and I virtually wrote nothing Mm. because my realization was I'd lived such a safe closeted life that actually I had very few that I could claim to be satisfying any of those criteria And it was at that point where I made the decision that actually I wasn't going to live that safe life anymore and I needed to challenge myself more, which has led to the ongoing journey of of where I am now. But it was on that day that I realized actually there was more that I could offer, more that I could do, and I had a bigger contribution to make. Uh, And that's led to 18 months after that event, choosing to leave the corporate world, set up Mindset Leadership, the um, uh, consultancy that I now lead, Five years later and to go about trying to help leaders at all levels shape their leadership capability uh, prepare themselves as you say our strap plan is mastering tomorrow so how do we prepare ourselves for the future um, mm-hmm. and engender the kind of leadership that i saw in that room that day when i first met these other 13 people who i was sharing the days with but also creating the type of leaders who can have a positive impact on the people they lead and the businesses they 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 lead that has this sense of humanity at its heart.
0: This concept of mastering tomorrow brings to mind for me, that means you need to know what tomorrow looks like, what every sort of tomorrow looks like, or have a five-year vision in front of you. And so then what I choose to do today is to help me to be able to do what I need to do tomorrow in essence. Yeah. One step at a time. I'm curious because you're like 18 months later, I had this consultancy. I don't know how much longer you had a book written like those are pretty significant things to do. What was your what did your first plan look like anything like what you have manifested now
2: um So my very first, the first, the first step was I drove back to from that. Uh, <laughs> right, you had to get home. Uh, <laughs> nine hours, ten hours, long journey back. So lots of time to reflect um, on the experiences. And then there was uh, my partner at the time that, that there was then a conversation around actually. I, I think I want to satisfy this this itch that I had, that I always had around potentially going out and doing it myself. So it was a that was the start of the conversation. Mm. What I had in my mind when we explained kind of what we'd learned from those three days as part of the retreat. So the last evening of the retreat, it's um, the tradition was that you walked down to the lockside and we had a log fire on the lockside, and everybody shared their, their story from the three days and their takeaway. So very powerful stories. And my commitment was that actually I'm no longer going to lead that safe life. And actually I want to go and set up some kind of business for myself to maybe Go into doing this as as a way. That was that was one of my realizations that came out. Did I anticipate that I would be doing what I'm doing now and it forming in the same way? Did I think that I'd be writing a book? Absolutely not. Did I think that I would be leading a consultancy that's um, operated in different countries around the world? And none of it was in my my thoughts at the time, but over the next 18 months became part of a vision that I, I kind of created. The one thing that I did have on that day, and it still sits, so probably the only true thread of DNA that runs through it, is a belief that there is a form of leadership that is different and better to what was currently seen in most organisations. Part of it was a sense of, of kind of creating almost, um, in the UK, we have um, the military training of Sandhurst, which prepares officers for their roles in the military. So one of the thoughts that I had in my head at the time was almost creating uh, a, an equivalent of Sandhurst book for leaders who could go through this kind of academy place and come out mm. with the skills armed to be able to go and lead in the corporate world in a way that actually engenders all of those things that they're driving in, in the military around that servant-based leadership. That was something that was part of that thread. So um, that's probably the one thing that has stood the test of time.
1: So tell us about the book then. How did that arise?
2: Mm. So And yeah, so the book came probably about two years into running my consultancy. So um, we published it last November. There was a number of kind of key thoughts that seemed to coalesce together at the same time. So we were working on this um, leadership development uh, business that we were operating, started to look at uh, and learn a lot from people who are in our sector and also just some of the great thought leaders out there. And Mm -hmm. The one thing that I did when I left corporate is I gained this appetite to just learn, which again, in the corporate world had probably been dormant for a number of years. The first thing that when I set up my own consultancy was I just read and read and read and had this real appetite for new knowledge. And you start to then look at some of the key influences around. So like some of the great names of Simon Sinek's of the world, so i would got this kind of passion around leadership and something around the future. I was spending a lot of time researching elite performance and seeing how the very best in their particular mm-hmm. fields, whether it be military sports, business, arts, how they create their mental frameworks um, and starting to recognize these kind of concepts. It passionately interested around neuroscience and the way the brain operates. So there was lots and lots of different feeds coming in. I'm also a cycling fan and the work by Dave Brails, British Sky Cycling, around marginal gains. But this concept around kind of incremental steps to make, help us to improve. And then this sense that actually in the world that we're living in, we're now seeing a complete change to the, the dynamic that used to exist, where knowledge was the currency and knowledge gave you the power and the authority over others. And you're starting to see this shift multi-generational teams, different expectations, pace of technology change growing ever more rapidly. And I was starting to see this through my coaching practice, but also just the more reading we were looking at. So all of these thoughts started to coalesce together into this feeling that we maybe needed a new blueprint for the way that we lead into the future. How do we, Mm -hmm. how do we cope with this change that's happening in the, in the world to become effective and to remain effective and remain relevant as leaders as we move through where we can't just rely on previous hierarchy and authority or knowledge as being the the currency that gives us that ability to lead. So all of those things came around and it it just was one day where I just kind of thought maybe, maybe there is a book in me, which is micro leadership. So micro leadership is about the future of of leadership, but it's also about the uh, enormous power of tiny interactions to create results so it's taken this concept of marginal gains the incremental step-by-step approach that we can have to improve and put performance we're then looking at every organization on the planet no matter how technologically advanced it is is built of human beings every single strategy in, on the planet is enacted through the individual interactions between two human beings so many times when i got into into kind of businesses and corporates and, and everybody talks about organizations in the third party because if it's some mystical being on its own, but an organization is just a collection of people who happen to sit under one banner or one brand or one building or one roof, but ultimately yes, an organization has a culture in its own right, but fundamentally that's created by the interaction between the human beings who are part of it. So it really kind of sat into microleadship came about, how do we influence those tiny interactions? How can I make a, a, a one percentage point difference to the way that I engage with the person next to me to enable us to be more effective in terms of the overall ability to deliver results. And that's, that was at the, the kernel of the, the book.
0: It's such a brilliant concept too, because what often trips people up is they understand the end goal and it seems so far away from where they currently are and so the motivation to try to get there is really it's hard to harness that amount of motivation when you only see the distance between your current skill set and ability your current state and the future state that you're aiming for and so to be able to ask yourself the question what would make it 1% better then becomes something so manageable, so digestible, so easy, per se, to then execute on. And if I do that every single day, then I've got this sort of compound interest. Just like if I put a dollar into my savings account every day, by the end of the year, I won't just have $365
2: absolutely and and it's that that one percent increase because it as it compounds over time and i was i was doing a, a session a couple of weeks ago on a webinar when i was talking to marginal gains and again being a runner i use the analogy of, of running so just saying to people if you could run a kilometer and then each day you can add one percent to that so the at the end of the uh, the next day you go out you run a thousand and ten meters which is the one percent being added could you do that well if i can run a kilometer i can run an extra 10 meters of course i can But then you say to people, well, do you think you could run a marathon? And they're like, absolutely no chance. There's no way you could ever get me running a marathon. But if you do the calculation, just adding 1% and committing to it every day, 377 days later, you'll be running a marathon every day. Now, that's how quick it is. Just over a year, if you committed to that process of each incremental gain, it would mean that you'd be running a marathon distance every day. When you start to see that compound impact, it makes such a big difference to our ability to take that next step.
1: How does that translate into the idea of leadership? Then, is it something that's achievable in in a set time frame, like like a year? I know that you're using the running example because it's sort of you know, clearly linear and easy to understand. But how do I become one percent better leader than I was yesterday?
2: Yeah, and what we what we help people with is unpicking what uh, what are the component parts of effective leadership. So again, if you go to the theory about marginal gains. The uh, marginal gains theory works because you break apart performance into its constituent parts. What are the differences that I need to make as a leader? What are the what are the ways that I influence others? What are the the opportunities and the and the vehicles that I have to have an impact on other people around me? And when I look at each of those, how can I do those that one percent better? And I guess the, the 1% is kind of just the um, the concept. It, it's then just thinking, okay, how can I have a more positive impact in that environment? So if it's talking about um, my team meetings, how can I just make my team meetings that slightly better than the, what they were previously?
0: Oh, I know, cut them in half as far as time goes. <laughs> there's an easy one right
2: there (laughs) absolutely yeah so just not do them at all or whatever it might be but how do i how do i have that different impact and if i'm talking about doing a one-to-one with my a member of my team how can i make that one-to-one slightly um, more impactful how do I shift from being so task-focused into understanding the need to be more human-focused? How do I manage my time more effectively to create the time for me to be able to commit to the things that I know make a significant difference to my ability to lead? How do I build my commercial knowledge if that's part of my leadership role to, to become slightly more commercially adept? So one of the work we, we do is, with people is how do I break that down into its constituent parts and then start to work on what are the improvable steps with each of those areas? And if I can improve, I've got 10 things that I can work on and I just improve each of those by a little bit, I'm already going to be significantly better as a leader when I add those things back into the whole again.
0: Now here's the argument on the flip side that I'm thinking of coming from a personality that can be competitive. And and I just recently had a conversation earlier today about my competitive nature. This, can almost seem like it's the path of least resistance. Just run an extra 1% if you start at one kilometer. I'm like, well, but that just seems, well, of course I could do 10. That's not really challenging enough. So the argument then comes up of, well, can't we work a little bit harder? Why 10%? Why not 25%?
2: The sustainability of it. Anybody can turn the dial on their business in the short term. Pretty much anybody could do it. There are ways that you can go and do that that would make a difference in the short term to your business. But are those ways sustainable over time? Are those ways going to create sustainable long-term success that can be repeated consistently? Or are you going to burn yourself out so much because you're investing so much energy in the short term too? You could go and do more. But actually by doing more, are you potentially holding yourself back for the long term? Everybody wants to rush and get there.
0: Yeah. And there's this also the accolades of stacking wins as well to gain Mm. self-confidence and knowing this is moving me forward. And I might through that window of 1% increment also identify the 10 things I had down to start on to work on. I actually catapulted through three of them by just shifting this one thing impacted the other ones that were on my list. Now I've reduced the amount of work that I have to do and perhaps I can start looking at what is the 20% that gets me 80% of where I need to go as opposed to sometimes we look the other way around. What are all the things I have to do and try to impact? Maybe narrowing the focus and really sort of getting into understanding If I'm trying to influence, if I'm trying to impact in what way, what really are the things I need to then be doing? I have crappy relationships. Turns out I need to start building deposits. I need to start building trust with more and more people. So if I just do that, guess what happens? All of these other things start to go away.
2: Yeah, so we we talk a lot about keystone habits. So if I can focus on what are those keystone habits mm-hmm. that if I change them and work on them, so it may be that actually I'm really struggling to get buying from people. Well, actually, if I just worked on investing in the emotional piggy bank a little bit more, making a few more deposits, well, how if you if I do that. And that's the keystone habits surrounding that are all of the halo effects that you get from when you change one specific habit and it all stacks on top and makes. And that's again where you start to see this compound effects happening. What are those keystone habits that exist in your organization that really do form the basis of your impacting your effectiveness? And if we just can start working on those then we can create a big impact.
1: You you talked about uh, the concept of future leadership. So I'm interested to know, based on all the data you've done, all the clients you work with, all the experiences that you just explained there, are there certain things, I guess everyone has their own journey and everyone is going to be specific to what they're doing, but is there a a few points that you found have become super successful through the course of your business and, and, and research that you think, I'm not going to lead them here, but if they can get to these three things or however many it is that you're really going to see some change is that something that you found if so is that something you can share with us
2: yeah absolutely there were six themes that started to form to become what i actually call in the book the six habits of the micro leader so it kind of coalesced into the habits that we would inform and, and train out via the book and some of the work that we do when we the themes that sit behind them were consistently being represented when in all of the research I was doing and all the reading and again on my own observations. And those those six habits were, the first one was this kind of concept around servant-based leadership. So what I call the habit, live to serve. So understanding that my fundamental role as a leader is to help the people in my team be brilliant. No matter what it says in your job description, your number one priority is to help people around you be brilliant. How do I serve them? To become as good as they can be. Because if hey, okay, what if I've got brilliant people around me, I'm going to be pretty good myself as a leader. So the second one was um, live in the gap. What we started to identify was it's the people who live at the edges of things that make the greatest success, those people who will look at the, the spaces between rather than the, the blocks, the the people that will look and are able to scan the horizon and see where the gaps are for opportunities to step forward and step into that ability to choose how you want to act in any given moment because you are looking for the gaps, the opportunities, the space and time to take advantage of a situation look for commercial opportunities or whether it's looking at the edges where I know I can have a big impact on an individual in my team, whatever it might be. But that that ability to scan and look for those different spaces between was becoming a real prevalence in in some of the, the research. Third one was was what we call be a connector, be a person who connects processes and people and systems together, but always putting through, through the live to serve, always putting humanity at the heart of that. But that person who is able to build networks, they might not, and they absolutely wouldn't have all the answers, but they are the person who can join the dots effectively enough to get the answers. They're the people in organizations who just know how to get things done because they use their informal networks, which are way more powerful than informal networks, that ability to have deep relationships with people, to truly connect with people around them and to understand we don't lead lead roles, we lead people. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to think about ourselves as leading an org chart, but we don't. We lead people who make up that org chart and they've all got their own backstory, their own history.
0: I wholeheartedly agree that that is how leadership needs to behave for workplaces to really transform and evolve. If you want to get the best out of someone, you really have to know them as an individual and you have to care about all of the aspects of their life that they're bringing into work with them because, I mean, if there's the slightest thing is off, I'm not going to be able to perform at my peak today and either you're going to be able to help me because you know me well enough and you took the time to notice it and then ask me about it and then help me through to either resolve or have a solution towards, Well, can we do a subpar performance today from you? Like, would that be okay? Or maybe the solution is you just go home, resolve what needs to be resolved and tomorrow you come back and you're 100%. Otherwise, if we keep going with the kind of leadership we tend to have in workplaces now, we get the, I could tell you're off, but you're here. That'll do. And yeah. I'm just going to try and get as much out of you as I possibly can. And now for five, six, seven days, you're at subpar performance and continually getting worse and worse. And not just you, your negative Nancy is now impacting the people that are around you. And I just don't understand why leaders don't see that. And they kind of go, it's all right. We'll be fine. I'm like, no, your head is in the sand. That ostrich yeah. syndrome.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And that not not even appreciating or recognizing the collateral damage that's been done through that either you know the fact that i yeah i can get a tune out of you today and it might be a good enough tune to get me through the day but actually what is the collateral damage that me getting a tune out of you is going to cause to to you your home life and everything else that sits around which as you say creates that compound effect on the in the negative side next one was um what we call find a way so the ability to see obstacles and then just have that determination to, to find a way, to find the opportunities to, to go around, to go over, to go under if you need to, to explore different avenues that are just going to have that resilience to just keep trying if you are struggling with things. And not to the point where you're kind of, you're blind to the impacts of it, but actually doing it from a position of intelligence. That whole willingness to just face into the challenges. So we talked about that. That was a a theme that came out, and then uh, next one was dare to fail. Particularly, this came out when we start to look at a a world where there is no real blueprint for the future. Where you are in this kind of uh, uncertain, ambiguous space, where actually, as a leader, sometimes you've just got to be able to step in and make a decision, and and you don't know whether it's going to work or not. But you've got to, at times, make that decision, be willing to fail to achieve that success
0: pretty much every job profile for a leader has the word innovation or innovative on it. And that in and of itself means there is no blueprint, like you're creating something completely new. And how often do we have a completely original idea? I've never had a completely original idea. It's come from something else. So as you're talking about these things, I'm just like, oh, this combination of capacities and skill sets. I could see now why something like daring to fail, requiring innovation, plus I can connect dots between things all of a sudden creates a unique solution from a combination of other experiences.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what I've been seeing from this, I know we haven't got through all of the six ideas here yet, Hayden, but um it's interesting to me because obviously your company is is mindset. And then for me, the growth mindset it means lots of things being open being saying yes to things but it means about fundamentally just trying in the idea that you haven't achieved it yet so you just keep trying so if you're going to fail keep trying uh, if you're trying to find a way keep trying living in the gap try and find the opportunity so i think it's a recurring theme but also going back to what Teresa was saying about squeezing squeezing your employee trying to get the best out of your employees to squeeze them yeah. you know, it reminds me of this kind of like traditional way that the, the, the business operates in a sort of short term quantitative approach as opposed to adopting more of a long-term qualitative approach it's like what can I get out of you that's going to impact me today I'm not caring about what's going to happen next week to me or the business or especially not to you whereas as you said if you have more care and consideration for the individual mm-hmm. and realize that the individual has this halo effect has this ripple effect on the morale and the uh, And the collateral damage that it can do from from not not addressing it not engaging it and not taking time to give the individual the opportunity to refine themselves and you know if you can help in that way great if you can't give them the space to try and sort out for themselves so i don't know what you you think about that hayden in terms of a western western reductionist sort of philosophy of how they how you approach the leadership and it's all about sort of data driven logical approaches Uh, as opposed to the more sort of left brain and emotional side of things?
2: Yeah, so uh, there's a a lot around when you take that short-term view of the world where you just are looking to work from now until the next quarter to the next half year to the next year, and you make decisions that are only have that near your horizon, the impact that potentially has on the way that you are leading and and the, the decisions that you're making are having potentially a, a big impact on how the people are feeling within the environment and there is so much benefit from having that slightly longer term view because you know, when, when we're dealing with people we have to take that long term game because you're never going to you're never going to get the full potential out of somebody in, in such a short time you're never going to help somebody to really become who they are because we're all on this lifelong journey true development of others takes time and takes a willingness to invest in the in the experience so that has to lead you down that longer term horizon so we definitely saw that within the the research we did around the book which was looking for people who have got a real vision to the future and understanding where they want to be and building that into the way that they they lead and and again it feeds into this this habit of dare to fail is uh, I've got to be willing to try some things and risk the mistakes that happen because that's part of the learning process. But if I'm going to have a short-term view and I'm going to be really data-driven and very logical about things, then I'm not going to take those chances. I'm going to play very safe because if I don't play safe, then I'm going to miss my quarterly number. And if I miss my quarterly number, I'm going to end up negatively impacting my view of the world and or being labeled as somebody who fails and... I can't accept that because that's not the world I'm living in. And therefore I'm going to always play safe. I'm going to take the easiest route to the the result rather than the best route. And it causes this very either super high risk mentality because I'm going to have to do and take these massive risks or a completely cautious, safe route that doesn't take any risk or doesn't do any of those long term development plans because there's no guarantee that they're going to work out
0: if we think of this in terms of cycling we have because i used to use this in training and development is that the individual who just rides flat mediocre easy path doesn't really challenge doesn't really do much of anything except stay the course because they just always stay flat that's what it looks like straight across yep. nothing, change, nothing changes they don't change the outcomes don't change People who are willing to risk will take those leaps that'll be hard at first. And so it'll be like pedaling uphill, but eventually they'll crest the the hill and then they'll be able to kind of take some of the advantages and cruise for a little bit. So I might not be learning anything new in that moment, but guess what? When the next hill comes, I've got the experience of the last one to help propel me forward. And so my journey starts to do this sort of incremental rolling hill where, where I started from looks nothing like where I ended up. I'm always going to be at an elevated state whether I'm doing it from a leader perspective and demonstrating how to do that for the people that I lead. So I set the culture and the tone in my own behaviors, or I'm an employee who's doing that.
2: Absolutely. Uh, it reminds me of um, one of the, one of the books I read in preparation for writing my book. Um, it was all about, again, sporting prowess. Uh, and one of the stories that was told was uh, so people who go and lift weights in the, in a, in a gym. If you really want to build strength, you have to lift weights enough to the point of failure of your muscles, because it's not in the lifting of the weights where you grow the strength, it's in the repair that happens in your body afterwards, because what your body is, if you lift weights to a point where you fail, you create these micro fractures in your muscles, and that's a signal to the body that your muscles need to be stronger because you can't cope with it. So when you then go into your rest phase, the body works really hard to build extra strength to prepare you for the next time. And that's exactly the same way within this kind of concept of being willing to take a chance, step outside, push myself up that big hill because I know that if I do that, and I might be exhausted when I get to the top, but it's preparing my body for that next step.
0: So what would be habit six that you found in your research?
2: The last one, which is, um, and again, kind of really important one, is what we call show up yes which is i've got to show up and i've got to walk the talk i've got to demonstrate the things that i expect of others i've got to hold myself to the highest standards if i'm going to expect high standards in others at times i've got to but i've got to put my nose into the wind i've got to be willing to be the person who's at the front of the front of the echelon who's taking the the pressure of the the oncoming wind and the the wind resistance to sometimes be the person who is steps out front you know we often talk about um leaders and, and particularly around the servant-based leaders of, of you kind of you don't have to be the the gung-ho leader who's at the front and and demanding people follow you and being that kind of pace setter but there is times when you do there are times as a leader where absolutely it is the right thing for you to step forward and demonstrate your aptitude your capable and, and the behaviors that you expect in others so so our final habit was really this one around you need to show up
1: so i was talking to someone the other day about the idea about you know what is good leadership what is future leadership and we were arguing whether one person needs to exhibit let's take all these six things that you've said one leader needs to show all these things to be this incredible figurehead inspiring person or Is it better to have more like a team leadership? Let's use the cycling analogy like a peloton where everyone has their own little strengths and then each one can go and come to the front when it's necessary. I'm interested to hear your take on it, whether you think collective small group of leadership is actually the best model or whether the traditional CEO who Mm. is in charge of everything still works.
2: So so I think every leader will have an aptitude against some of these habits over others and we do something called a micro-assessment, which evaluates um, your kind of focus on these these six habits and, and everybody has different standouts. And I think the really great leaders then recognize where they have their natural gifts and talents. They're willing to work on some of the areas where they're not, so have that real growth mindset, being willing to step in and challenge yourself to do more, but also know how to surround themselves with people who can augment their leadership rather than be fearful of surrounding themselves with talents. One of the things I found was the best leaders are those who celebrate, develop, build up and surround themselves with people who will augment and enhance their, their natural gifts and talents and, and create that team where as a team they can collectively deliver against those six habits. My personal view would be great to work on all six as an individual because you can get better at all of them, but also to recognize where your highs and lows are and where you can be enhanced by others.
0: We have a hashtag. Not anymore. You know, we can't not pay attention to these incremental modular gains that move us forward, perhaps in the most successful way, when we think about growth. We also can't really not pay attention anymore to the fact that there is science behind peak performance and a mental framework that's needed to be successful, that it isn't all muscle. It's it's about sustainability of the changes that we're making. Yeah. So, you know, we really want to be able to help our listeners grab hold of some of this information and start applying it. You know, we're, we love talking and you shared so many different things that people can be doing and habits that they can actually even be looking at. You even have an assessment now. And I'm like, this is brilliant. They could do all of these things. However, for those of us that are really looking for incremental, what would be the first thing in your opinion that you would recommend individuals start doing today to be more mindful of this concept around micro leadership?
2: The one thing that I would encourage people to think into is to spend some time reflecting on the impacts that they have around them. So one thing I share with with everybody I work with is there is no business on the planet that fails and there really aren't any individuals that fail because of a lack of effort or hard work what typically makes us fail is a lack of thinking, a lack of time reflecting. So, So the first thing I would say is, can you find some time to reflect on the ways that you interact with people around you and impact people around you and start to do that breaking down piece that we discussed earlier of what are the constituent parts of my leadership practice that make me effective so I can then start to think about what is the, the one percentage point that I can add to each. So could I spend some time reflecting on the interactions I have, the time I spent with the people around me? When am I at my most effective as a leader? When do I get the results that I really want? When do I struggle to achieve the results that I uh, am looking for? When do I get myself frustrated? When do I feel that I'm being less effective? So for me, that would be the first, the first stage I always spend with good leaders is, getting them to spend some time reflecting on those constituent elements so I can then start to work on the building up part.
0: Amp up the self-awareness, perhaps. Amp up looking at yourself through other people's eyes.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So we can no no longer just be closed off to that feedback. We can no longer be totally blinkered in the way that we look look at things. One of the other things that I work a lot with leads is the performance you get from your team if you've been with leading that team for more than six months is entirely not entirely but majority down to your leadership and that's quite a hard message to deliver to people
0: yeah
2: very easy for them to say well actually it's their fault. Well, well yeah if you're the leader of that team and you've been there for more than six months you've had time to influence that and therefore if you're not so that's the other thing is actually start by looking in the mirror first and reflecting on your impact before we start to label or criticize others around us
0: mm-hmm. thank you for being with us Hayden for sharing your your knowledge your experience your wisdom to our listeners if you'd like to connect with Hayden you can do so on LinkedIn Hayden Brat, b-r-a-t-t Hayden let's spell that one first because that might be harder <laughs> h-a-y-d-n you can grab his book on micro leadership or called micro leadership uh, it's available on Amazon you can send them an email, Hayden at MindsetLeadership.co.uk, or check out the website, MindsetLeadership.co.uk. All right. I like to rub my hands together quickly because this is the super fun part, our rapid fire Q&A, just when you thought all of the hard thinking was finished. It's pretty straightforward. You have 10 questions, two choices. You just make your choice however you would like to interpret the statements. Are you ready?
2: Perfect, can't wait.
0: Number one, manager or leader? Leader. <laughs> Number two, active or reactive? Active. Black and white or gray?
2: Ooh, gray.
0: Optimist or realist? Optimist. Canada or England? Canada. <laughs> oh my God, That this might be the second
2: Brit, I recently went and I absolutely loved it. It's the first time I've ever been, so uh, I'm still oh, on a wonderful. bit of a high.
0: Wonderful heart or head? Heart number seven empathy or assertiveness? Empathy introvert or extrovert? Introvert logical or emotional? Emotional innovation or process? Innovation. Thank you for having fun with us.
2: It's been brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Thank you for uh, inviting me on and asking some great questions and having this conversation Been, been excellent. Really loved it.
0: You're welcome. To our listeners, thanks for being part of this episode of TNT ESQ. Until next time, you keep challenging the status quo.
1: We love to hear all of your feedback here on TNT ESQ, so if you've enjoyed this show, you've learned something, you've been inspired, please share it with your friends, please rate the show, please write a review on whichever podcast uh, platform you enjoyed it on to help us spread the word, help more people think differently and more people start doing differently. Thank you.